Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And did you like banking? There were good sides about banking. You definitely earn good money. I made a lot of friends in, in banking as well. I have friends all over the world. Were you a frustrated costume designer? Were you making clothes for yourself all along? Yes, yeah. I, I was making clothes for myself. I was making costumes for myself and my husband because we love to go to masked balls and themed balls. So what better opportunity to show off? Rennie Morsh is in the second year of her two-year costumier course at London's Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, more commonly known as RADA. She's a bit different from the other students. For a start, she's now in her 50s. And for another thing, she's already had a long career, one that not many people who work in the theatre have had. This is the Career Changes podcast from the Financial Times, and I'm Emma Jacobs. Uh, Rennie, we're sat in your course director's office, aren't we, at RADA? Yes, exactly. We're sitting in Di's cosy little office. (laughs) And it's very full of things. What is it full of? Can I just Um, have a quick look? We have a storage here of accessories, so bracelets, earrings, watches, yeah, sparkly bits. Bits and bobs. Yeah, all sorts of decorative items um, an actor might want to wear to the costume. And so the costume department is what we can see beyond the office, which is one uh, room full of first years and then the one that you're in, is that That's correct. You're in your second year of doing the Master's. It's a uh, diploma. It's a postgraduate study for for two years with a diploma at the end. So it's not quite a Master's, but it's a vocational study. You didn't start off doing costume design, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I started off as a foreign exchange trader. So that's quite a difference. It's quite a big difference. So why did you become a foreign currencies trader? I mean, you grew up not in the UK, did you? I grew up in Germany. and uh, In a small town near Frankfurt. The small town is called Bad Homburg. And, um, of course, the vicinity to Frankfurt and Frankfurt being the hub in Germany for financial business, it was the thing to do banking apprenticeship solid profession that's what my parents sought is that where your passion was when you were 16 17 no not at all I've, I've been sewing when I was a teenager I designed my own clothes and made my own clothes because uh, what I wanted to wear at that point of time wasn't available in the shops at all Podcast means that people can't really see what you look like. So uh, you don't look like a typical trader, would you say? You've got blonde hair with blue streaks in it? Yeah, at the moment I got a blue dip dye. When I was a trader, I was quite famous for wearing Dr. Martens and a beehive. So I did look a bit different um, compared to your average banker back then as well. And so you did a banking apprenticeship rather than a degree, didn't you? I did a banking apprenticeship and topped it with a degree as 
and now comes a German word, Bankfachwirt, which is probably comparable with um, a BSc. And so I did trading during the daytime and in the evening I went to uni and studied for that degree. And did you like studying? I always liked studying. I'd, um, I can't think of a time when I haven't done anything next to my job, whether it was learning a language or learning another skill. I quite enjoy learning. And when did you move to the UK? You moved to London for Deutsche Börse? Yes, um, I was employed for Deutsche Börse, the German stock exchange, and they have a representative office here in the UK. And I used to work for them in Frankfurt and was offered a job in London and moved here in 2001. You met a British man who became your husband? Yes, right? yes. <laughs> Because originally I only uh, planned to stay here in the UK for two or three years. Then, beginning of the third year, this wonderful man comes across me, and that was it. 18 years later, I'm still here. He's not a banker, though, is he? He's not a banker, no. He works for Historic England. And did you like banking? There were good sides about banking. I, I don't want to slag it off because I've spent 30 years in that industry, so there must have been good things in it. What do you think the good things were? You definitely earn good money. That enables you to save it up and do what you want afterwards, after your career. I made a lot of friends in, in banking as well. I have friends all over the world. I mean, were you a frustrated costume designer? Were you making clothes for yourself all yes. along? Yes, yeah. I, I was making clothes for myself. I was making costumes for myself and my husband because we love to go to masked balls and themed balls. So what better opportunity to show off your co the costume you made? And did you do it with a mind to doing it as a career later or was it just a passionate hobby? It started off as a passionate hobby. I uh, it, it took me quite a while to actually realise what courses are out there and that that I can go and, and follow that dream career because I thought, ha, at my age, you don't really change things anymore. If you're thinking of changing careers, you need to be aware of the pitfalls and not just attempt to turn your passion into a job. Richard Alderson from Career Changes. We're quite vocal about this. We, we think the whole find your passion mantra is quite dangerous yeah. and misleading for people and the reason for that is one some people don't have or don't feel they have a passion in inverted commas yeah. some people feel they have many passions and they wonder which one they can turn into a career others mistake passions that they uh, are happy to do outside of work but don't really have viability as careers for things that they might be able to do so we tend to avoid that whole find your passion mantra and instead we say look for your fulfillment sweet spot. And what we believe makes up your fulfillment sweet spot are three factors. One is, what is it that gives you energy? Secondly, what is it that you can be good at? And thirdly, what is it that the world will pay you for? And you really need to have all of those factors to find work that's fulfilling. So how do you know whether a hobby is a good career move? In short, you test it. How? By trying it out in the real world and by assessing it against those three different um, factors that I just talked about. We call those uh, resonance, competence and sustainability. So if you were to have a hobby you would like to, to test out, you would want to first of all um, see whether 
in, in the context of doing it as a career, which is different, by the way, as doing it from a, from a hobby, you would enjoy it on an ongoing basis. That's the first thing. Secondly, can you be good at it? So, for example, I have a hobby playing chess, but there's no way on earth I'm going to become uh, someone who can make money from it or, or indeed become good to, to an extent where I could make a career out of it. Um, and thirdly, and most importantly, perhaps with a hobby, is can you earn money from this? Uh, and the way to do this is to start off small. So, for example, you know, if you're interested in interior design and it's a hobby of yours, um, see what it feels like to do on a prolonged basis, not just for yourself, but for other people. See whether there's a level of competence that you have for doing it. Again, not just for yourself, but for others. I, you would need to get external feedback that other people think uh, your interior design is good. And thirdly, and very importantly, will other people pay you for it? You don't need to jump off your existing career right now and, and go full time into interior design before you've tested that. You can do it you know, while you still have a career or while you still have financial security. But really the ultimate list, litmus test is, will someone pay you in a small way for doing a small interior design project for them? That's going to give you some indications that your hobby might be uh, turnable into a career. I um, came across RADA um, through one of the short courses I did during the summer and was invited to have a look during the open day. And I was completely fascinated what was possible and what you can do here and um, it was such a revelation to find RADA and the courses they're offering that I thought I have to apply I really have to apply and see uh, what comes out of it checked with my husband whether he would be okay with that and of course he, he was very supportive um, If I don't know if I had the courage to do it without him being supportive of it but he was really really supportive so I applied and uh, I thought I'm never going to get that place were you miserable though we in banking had you had enough I had enough yeah yeah why yeah. were you miserable constant restructuring in in the company you have new management coming in start to restructure general motivation of people goes down the atmosphere gets poisoned because some people feel they don't get the jobs they deserve they don't get a promotion because someone else comes in and uh, gets that post and usually you have a lot of people who are being let go in a restructuring so that all creates quite an unproductive atmosphere and um, a lot of unhappy people and we had such a restructuring again and timing was just perfect in that sense when I did get the offer from RADA I thought well that's what I'm going to do and I have to say I haven't looked back. Although some might think that mature students are at a disadvantage when embarking on a vocational course, Rennie's tutor Di Favell thinks they've already overcome a number of hurdles. Do you see people that have come out of careers I mean, to use banking as an example, but not necessarily banking, who are frustrated with their current job and just have a kind of dream of what their new job might be as a costume maker? Um, yes, it's quite often when the children have grown up and then they start thinking about themselves again. So they've done what they've needed to do to pay for all the children's education and everything and now they've thought, well, this is what I've really wanted to do. It's amazing, it's brilliant that they actually get up there and find us because it's not always easy. You think of theatre making costumes as 
a hobby. I certainly did when I was younger. You don't always think about it as a career. They've already gone through that process, I think, once they've come to see us, finding us and actually making that decision that that's what they want to do. They've already sort of impressed me by getting that far, so it makes it that little bit more easy to accept them. Can you remember the day that you got the offer? Yeah, I was at Escort. I, I had invited some clients of mine uh, to Ladies' Day in Escort. And it was quite funny because we all met at Waterloo Station under the big clock and uh, were approached by a reporter from the Evening Standard with a photographer who wanted to take pictures of our hats. And I had... Um, a very funny little number um, on, which was a common bear cheese with some mice on top, a friend of mine made. So I ended up in the evening standard uh, with that hat. And I said jokingly to um, my clients, I said, hmm, I wonder if this will be the last kind of message Radha needs to make me that offer of that place. And we were coming back from Escot and I was checking my phone because I was wanted to meet with my husband and this email came with the offer and I, I was just standing there with my friend saying, Oh my god, oh my god, I got the offer <laughs> But it was it was very funny, because um, I openly talked about the uh, application I had made and uh, my clients were also quite supportive and thought yeah you you should do something like that you should do something creative this is really great and yeah my friend um then immediately grabbed me like we got to celebrate that let's go for a glass of champagne and that's what we did and how did you tell your boss i mean how much notice did you have to give i had uh three months to the end of the quarter and i i tried i asked for a sabbatical and uh, that was out of the question because they really felt they needed me. I said, OK, then no sabbatical, so I'll resign. And, did... and they were gobsmacked that I actually resigned, <laughs> which was, again, funny. Did you feel nervous? I think I was probably nervous, yes, because I've been working for the company for... 17 years as well so it's a long time so uh ready one big difference between being a banker and a student is the money is the lack of the lack yes. of money <laughs> and uh and so how much have you had to pay for the course the course is six thousand and and a bit per year um so i get invoiced per term and we have a trimester year here um so 12 12,000 and a bit in total and i mean you've saved money yes. in advance haven't you yes how long have you been saving money for this very moment i've actually been saving money for this moment for all my life sounds a bit funny but i always had it in my head that at some point i wanted to go to university and study what i'm interested in so i always saved the money then spend it on something like buying an apartment, then buying a house, uh, and then I started saving again. 
So I can't really give you a, a time frame of saving because I'm German. I save money. I'm, <laughs> I'm raised like that. In a survey we did uh, last uh, in 2016 of thousand, more than 1,000 uh, of our audience, 70% of them said that finances were their biggest obstacle to making a shift. So it is right up front and center for most people in terms of fear around making any sort of change. For those people that overcome it, many do take a salary cut, some don't. But what people who do take a cut do is do a few things. They, they do reassess what they need. I remember speaking to um, one of our clients who's a lawyer who said, when he totaled up all the things that he spent money on to essentially relieve the pain of being in a career that he didn't really, really want to be in and took all of those things off his budget, he realized he could live on a much lower salary. Uh, so there are ways that you can, if you need to take a salary cut, adjust without necessarily impacting the quality of life in terms of things that are really important to you. How much do you expect to earn in the first year, do you think, when you qualify? It depends on how many jobs and what jobs you get. It's rare that you get a permanent position in one of the theatres. It's usually based on freelance work. Have you earned any money in the last while you've been a student? Have you done any freelance work? I've done some financial freelance work, yes. The FT has a lot of banking readers who might envy you and they might wonder how much they should save up to sort of see them through a period of kind of transition. I mean, what would your advice be? Of course, if you go to uni and go to study for, for a degree, it's something else than, let's say, starting up a business in a field or a similar field to what you've done before. So if you go to uni, you definitely have to save for the uh, university fees and your cost of living. So the cost of living obviously depend on if you have to move to, to uh, a different town you might have to rent a room somewhere um, general advice of universities for cost of living in London for a normal student with a room and food and transport is a thousand pounds per month and I think even for someone with a house and a mortgage, because a house has different costs to just renting a room, it's quite a good ballpark figure to calculate with. How old are you, Renny? Can I ask? 51. And how old is the general age of your peers in your group? In my group, uh, two are in their early 20s and Elizabeth is 32. Two. I mean, did it make a difference that there's an age gap? Not to me, uh, no, not not in learning terms, not in being accepted. I don't personally feel any kind of difference. I just see when they go out in the evenings, that's where the difference comes in because it's simply the places they go to, the music they listen to is so different to what I'm doing and what I like that i rather pass on that. What do they like? What do you like? I like my music more on the punk, metal, goth, rock, industrial. The younger people tend to go more for Ed Sheeran and Sam Smith and R&B, which is not quite 
my taste. So they're so, too uncool for you, is that what you're saying? They're too uncool for me. <laughs> and younger students, do they defer to the older students in any way? Uh, sometimes, sometimes they can, because they have got a lot more life experience than the younger ones. So um, there's always, apart from the work, um, there's always other things they can help each other with. So because we only have four students a year, they are usually very supportive of each other and it's, it makes a difference that they get on. It's not just the older ones that have different lifestyles as well. We have younger people with uh, who are in long-term relationships or just have a different sort of lifestyle. So they don't always go out together and, uh, and fit in like that. But in some ways, sometimes it's even better when they don't. So they can have their outside life and then come here and have a good working relationship with each other. And, I mean, have you made new friends through the course? Yeah. Definitely. My Facebook friends have ballooned <laughs> since then. And uh, aside from Facebook, yes, I, I've made new friends really and, uh, and met some really nice people here. And did you find the learning aspect? I mean, going back into a university environment after working is different. Did you find it hard? No, not at all. I probably would struggle if I had to write a thesis. I'd have to get back into writing mode. But as this course is so vocational, you, you're sewing, you're pattern cutting, you do all that with your hands. And of course, you have to use your brain and think. But you don't have to write a thesis. And that's a big plus <laughs> from my side. How do you feel compared to what you were like in banking? Are you happier? Are you more energetic, more tired, more? <laughs> very happy, very energised. Uh, my blood pressure has come down. <laughs> At my age, you talk about <laughs> pr blood pressure very easily. And it was a bit high. And now it's perfectly fine. I'm always surprised how quickly a day goes by. In, you snip your finger and it's five o'clock and you don't know where the day has gone. Whereas in banking, I've been sitting there. Oh, is it lunchtime yet? Oh, no, it's only nine o'clock. Oh, God. It's, uh, it's good fun. I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. Has your partner noticed any difference in you? Yes, are yes. You, are you less yeah. annoying, less <laughs> irritable? No, he he feels that I'm happy. And, of course, I'm quite chatty when I come back. Um, and have things to tell what um, I've been doing all day long and he's interested in that whereas I don't think he was that interested in uh, uh, euro sterling went up today uh, no Rennie when you graduate in July uh, how do you see the next year going and do you have like a five year plan I sound like I'm interviewing you for a job but do you yeah the <laughs> famous do you see five yourself year plan? in five years in really? five years in five years I really I want to be the person that has made the costumes for the next Game of Thrones <laughs> I think you will hear that from probably about everyone who comes into costume it's something to aim for Within those five years, my aim is to specialise in different fields. So breaking down um, costumes is one of them. Corsetry and millinery as well. I've done quite a bit of corsetry so far. I quite enjoy it because it's um, quite labour intensive to make a, a corset. But it's very satisfying to do that. And the outcome generally very beautiful 
and millinery is just you can be really mad and creative uh, in millinery and that is something I quite enjoy doing. And do you think that the, I mean, you're you're going to be older than your peers entering the workforce, the costume workforce, and that's something that a lot of uh, listeners who are thinking about changing careers would worry about. Um, how can you make connections and and uh, demonstrate that being in your forties or fifties is is worth something different to being? 20 and straight out of university so I think you have different uh, qualities and skills as a more mature person than as a young person so a young person might have more stamina uh, sitting sitting there doing whatever they're doing Um, I might have more patience to work on something a little bit more complicated. Um, Yeah, it it really depends on what it is. But uh, in in general, I would say as a more mature person, I'm more relaxed when something goes wrong because I know it's not the end of the world. This life experience tells me no one's going to kill me if things go wrong and I might have a, a quick solution to it, how to rectify whatever has gone wrong um, because of my life experience. But also your work experience. You've got project yeah. experience. Yeah. And, and you know how to budget. Yeah. But you, these are transferable skills. And when they leave, when they prepare to leave, how do you think employers see older students? It depends on the employer, but as a freelancer, I think they trust them a bit more, actually, depending on the job. If they're a supervisor, and they're, to be honest, more likely to get there more quickly if they're a bit older, because you automatically get that respect from the other people, the actors uh, and the other people involved in the uh, production. But I think... Maybe the first job might be a bit difficult, but once you got onto the ladder, I think it's uh, they very quickly go up the ladder um, because they are more trusted. And within the industry, that's what it's all about, trust trust of the, the people that you employ. Rennie, well, you were in your last uh, company for 17 years, is that right? Yeah. So that's a big transition in terms of a work life to being costume designer, which, as you were describing earlier, is probably going to be freelance self-employment. Are you prepared for the instability? I am actually looking quite forward to the instability because after 17 years in the same company, but with different bosses, restructuring, I'm quite happy not to have a boss for a longer period of time. Of course, I will always have a boss for that particular um, gig someone hires me, but it won't be years and years and then uh, the feeling suddenly, ah, 
Are you redundant to that boss? Does that boss still like me? I never had the Wall Street lifestyle, if you have watched the movies. So I don't think I'm going to miss much of the old lifestyle because I, I never did that. I really want to dive into what people nowadays call gig economy, but I'm absolutely prepared for it. I know the money is not comparable, but the work isn't comparable either. So let's let's see what happens. Career Changes was presented by Emma Jacobs and the producer was Matt Hall. It's a Financial Times podcast.